Welcome to the Weekend Must Watch on Intercut, the weekly show going through the movies, TV, and entertainment that people just can't cut away from. I'm your co-host Arturo Surita, and joining me as always here to thank the HFPA disrespectfully is Zachary Shevich. <laughs> yeah, the the uncanceled Golden Globes, if so that's what we're happened. going with now. I mean, yeah. I, I know they were bought out by Penske Media, but I'm pretty sure they just put all the really? same old racist Hollywood foreign press people on full-time salaries now. So uh, might explain some of the nominations. I don't know. We'll get to that. But uh, we'll see there. But yeah. really Penske. I feel like Penske's been buying up everybody. So then at yeah. that point, if you're buying up the journalists who are all Penske and then you're Penske, the Penske's can't write against the Penske's. Yeah. So it's a good thing look, we denied the Penske deal. Exactly. I mean, look, the Penske's need to give Penske media <laughs> stuff, things to write about. So might as well right. buy the Globes if you already own the Hollywood Reporter and Variety Ridiculous. and a piece of Deadline. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's Hollywood boosting itself up. But look, we we know this. This is what the, the award season is about anyway, is like a opportunity of self-congratulation to shine the spotlight on films that the like six often movies they saw deserve the spotlight but like you know uh that maybe could use that little financial boost as well so we'll see there although there's a little bit more of a celebration of box office achievement than we i think we're yes. used to uh this round they can't all be cinematic box office achievements but <laughs> we still have a pretty good discussion you were letting me know yes you actually speaking of box office achievements mm. have something there in the background for me to look Ooh. at that's crazy yeah. bro <laughs> i got i got my uh my own godzilla minus one poster he stormed into american movie theaters and and into my uh burgeoning collection so he'll have a nice spot on my wall when we do our year wrap-up uh, and i got an extra one too if you i don't they're not <laughs> if godzilla didn't make his way that far inland to chicago i have i went everywhere to search for one adobe one i'll take a i'll take a knockoff copy oh that's beautiful that's sexy yeah. there we go it's, i mean it's the, got the got the man front and center so Oh, Godzilla. Man. We'll, hey, we'll be talking it, more about him later, too. It has been a massive week for Japan. Uh, the takeover has happened, and <laughs> the American box office is owed overseas. But we yeah. have a lot to talk about in this week's of movies. Um, I know you're still away. You're going to be coming back. I think you got one more that you're, you're still hitting on the road, but you're going to be back for next week's recordings, yeah. which are all going to be our must-watch movies of the year, the best of the best. We're going to have our regular Amanda coming back in, and it's going to be a very interesting day of recording for us next week we'll, because we'll have a weekend must-watch covering let me look at my schedule right here um besides poor things expanding which we won't have on this docket now we've already given some mentions we have a review we'll have poor things we will have dawn of the nugget <laughs> the chicken run saga yeah rebel moon Ooh, American, are we getting rebel moon by then i think it comes out in theaters okay yeah um, i can do that i i asked snyder to to message me american fiction wonka wonka Bro, finest kind. I'm so excited to watch this at home. Um, the Family Plan. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, so we have a lot to cover next week just in terms of the movies that are going to be coming out. Yeah. And on top of that, we'll be doing our best movies of the year. Our best TV of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, our best docs of the year. I think Maybe. we have a couple of other stuff. And, Some and underrated gems. Yeah, if that's not enough to be covering this year, we're sickos, we're psychos, we're covering all the movies that are going to be coming out next year. So we're putting a Sundance pick from last year, Past Lives, on our list. We also will be figuring out what the next one is going to be since the Sundance schedule dropped. We're going to be uh, doing a whole breakdown for that for the previews. We know that that's uh, one of the videos that the intercuties love the most, so... 
Yeah, and we it's going to be a busy, busy day. We, that's going to be a long preview as of as it normally is, where we break down the schedule and also how to do the fest, things to look out for. But as you mentioned, the lineup of Sundance Films was revealed to us, and we will give plenty of recommendations on that preview episode. But were there any one or two titles that just jumped off of the lineup to you that you're really, really excited, Sundance included? Because I, I know that... Uh, for most people, that number one title is probably going to be I Saw the TV Glow, the new Jane Schoenbrunn movie, the director of uh, We're All Going to the World's Fair. a lot of bookmarks on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that one was pretty big. Um, I, I think it looked like a solid lineup. I've gone through everything but the uh, all the documentaries uh, so far. But right off the bat, I think in the regular competition... Um, was the one Love Me? I think it's going to be incredible. Yeah, one of two different Kristen Stewart movies playing the festival. Called Love Me, yeah. That was a good tweet from you. Um, World Thank Cinema you. Dramatic has one that I think is going to be insane. I hope I get the right one right here. I think it's Handling the Undead. Yeah, baby, it's Handling the Undead. This yeah. is easily, without a doubt, a top five movie it's for a me. Worst Person in the World Reunion, too. Bro, I am all in. I think Neon already picked this up. They timed it exactly to the uh, release of... Um, the, or the, the announcement, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, I don't know, I feel like there's a lot of other interesting ones, like the American Society of Magical Negroes looks like it's going to be right up my alley in its yep. tone. Looks like it's going to be really bonkers. Um, Ghostlight looks pretty interesting as well. Uh, and this comes from the directors who uh, had done the What's It Called with What's-His-Name in that What's It Called. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> Very I think it's Lars and Real... Never mind, this is completely different. This is the St. Yeah. Francis. No, but you're, uh, you're right. The... Um... The But they have one too. Yeah, I mean, well, there's there's lots of interesting people who are here with movies. Ryan Fleck and Anna Bowden are back on their indie game. They left Thank the you. Marvel Cinematic no. Universe. And I, I really like their movies like Sugar uh, and uh, they did Mississippi Grind also, but they're back at mm-hmm. Sundance. Looks uh, like Shout out to Josh in the live stream chat who mentions the new Megan Park film is also going to be there. We really love the Fallout, her, her first one. Um Steven Soderbergh's got a new movie uh, at uh, Sundance as well. He does, so, bro. Uh, the director of St. Maud's got a new one for that as well. That's the other Kristen the Stewart movie. Oh, St. Maud, yeah. Yeah, yeah. St. Francis, St. Maud, two different ones. But yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of exciting movies. So a lot of stuff for us Good to stuff. preview on the yeah. uh, Sundance preview episode. And things still being announced. I did make one over on the A to Z show, so you can go check out. Maybe it's somewhere on here. You can go to the A to Z show over on uh, Letterboxd, Letterboxd. And I have kind of a list. I put all the features and the documentaries so you can uh, kind of follow along. I think that's always been... Uh, my go-to way when we go to festivals to like figure out, you know, what we've watched. Okay, what is there that's still out there to to keep an eye on? Uh, what are people reacting to the most? And um, especially when the artwork gets uploaded and, and stuff, it's a it's a good way to keep track of all of your movies, especially because it counts them down. So we have all of that coming up for Sundance. All of the recommendations for what's been good this year, but we got to talk about this week and this week in movies, like we were saying. Japan did not come to play. Mm. You have almost two sides of the same coin, the aftermath (laughs) of big events that happened in Japan. One where uh, it's very much an action movie that we covered last week um, in Godzilla uh, Minus One. I am very excited for this poster, Zach. You have brightened my day with that. But we also have a movie that we covered back at the Toronto International Film Festival, Zach. Did you finally get the chance to watch this? I did. 
I did. After several close calls without seeing it, I finally got to see The Boy in the Heron. Tell me. Because it's been released in many movie theaters. I saw it by myself at a private screening. <laughs> in, in the, thanks to the AMC, no one else decided to show up. Uh, subbed and, or dubbed? <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Um, no, subbed yeah. or dubbed? Oh, subbed or dubbed. Um, it, I saw the subbed version. I figured that I would pr- catch the dubbed one later. Uh, because okay, I that, am very that curious. That is a proper choice. Yeah, yeah that is a proper I'm choice. Very curious about particularly Robert Pattinson's choices oh, in, in that one. But yeah, I'm, you got to catch the, the original version of it first, right? Good, 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 good. Yeah, so we both caught the subbed. I'm very excited to catch the dubbed because I think these are the one uh, like voice, what would you even call it, directors that really mm-hmm. know how to get a cast to, to come together. So, uh, But yeah, tell me about your first take on Boy in the Heron. So, yeah, obviously, it's the new film from Hayao Miyazaki, who is the legendary Japanese animator, director, however, filmmaker. And I think that, you know, he's kind of unquestionably one of our great artists. This is visually just an absolute feast. And it's got that, you know, that style of animation that feels almost like it's been lost to time and that it's got it really feels uh, drawn. It really feels like tactile. It doesn't feel. At, at, like hyperactive the way that a lot of animated movies are you know the the front runners for the oscar this year are seem to be at least for animated seem to be the boy in the heron and across the spider-verse and you couldn't think of two movies that are <laughs> more different <laughs> yeah. in terms of like the attention span required to try and yes, watch I... them um and, and you know I, I think i was really really uh, blown away by just the beauty of the film and some of the images are put together. I think that Miyazaki has this unique ability to really transport you to like these alternate worlds, these very imaginative uh, locations and characters and and setups. And he just has a perspective that uh, is feels feels unique. Um, even even amongst the landscape with a lot of animated movies out there, there still aren't people who are able to achieve that. I while that was enough to sort of carry me through it and enjoy my experience with it, I got to say that I, I didn't really connect with the story. I thought it was a little bit disjointed. Um, it, it's kind of like you you end up being transported from uh, the real world to this kind of more fantastical location. And I don't know if I ever really um, connected that much with what's going on in, in that aspect of the movie. There's, they're doing a really interesting uh, way of portraying uh, grief, of portraying, you know, uh, sort of like a, a re- rebuilding of the self. And mm-hmm. I, there's obviously some elements here that I think lots of film journalists have taken, uh, maybe even read too much into about like lineage and passing things on. And like, I, I don't you know. Agree I, feel, with that? I, I mean, I, I, think it's, I, I think it's there, but I think people are, ta- as we found out, people are taking it to me like, this is Miyazaki's final statement on his career. It's like, no, he's, he's back to work on Tuesday you know like I don't know if it's <laughs> yes. it's quite as conclusive as a lot of people have been trying like I've seen a lot of people say like oh if you see this this is obviously his retirement film it's I don't, I don't know if I got that vibe from it well, even if there's elements of it there look people went to the Brett Favre game I don't know how many times <laughs> you know thinking that it was going to be the last one so you never know when yep. the last one is until it's the last one you know that's true that's true and look if it is going to be the last one I think there's a lot of beautiful stuff in there even if For it sure. is not my favorite Miyazaki movie I think it's totally worthwhile I, I I think it's you know incredibly beautiful uh, i'm excited to give it a second chance and maybe on that second chance uh maybe with the dubs or whatever i'll connect to it a little <laughs> bit more but yeah i mean i 
I still think it's beautiful. I, I, I don't know if I would go uh, Boy and the Heron above Across the Spider-Verse in terms of the best animated movie of the year, other than for like the career legacy type of considerations yeah. that Miyazaki totally does deserve. But at the, at the same time, yeah, I mean, I, I think I just ultimately, um, I, I ultimately was a little bit, uh, not I couldn't get on the same wavelength as the story that was being told in the film. Yeah. Uh, I, again, we had seen it very early in the morning. And uh, when you look back at a lot of his uh, filmography, I think that there is a a split between when he balances the whimsical and when he does something very serious. You know, The Wind Rises was one where I was like, wow, this is a lot more serious and you mm-hmm. know, a bunch of characters coming to life. And as I've gotten older... I've appreciated that movie a lot more. And that's kind of the perspective that I came into this one where mm-hmm. I saw it become very whimsical. And then I was like, oh, but there's some like serious points here as well. Totally. Uh, it, it plays around with it. I think Ponyo may be one where to me, that's the most whimsical that he possibly gets. There could be other ones. We're doing our rewatch for, for a future um, intercut Racket. video. Um, I don't think it's as serious as The Wind Rises, mm-hmm. but it's somewhere in between where I, like you, feel like I need to rewatch it again just to to fully understand the, the bouncing that he was doing because it wasn't until afterwards that I realized something that I said uh, after our tip review. Uh, the original title is How to Live. Yeah. That answers it so much more. And that's why the things you were saying about the journalists who were like, oh, this is retirement film. I do agree with you. They were very clickbaity on the sense of like, this is a retirement film and this is my final review of Miyazaki. <laughs> and it's like, all right, chill, 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 But this idea that... Um, if you've ever seen him talk about his son and where it's all heading and his his almost like the the vile emotions he gets when he sees 3D animation and AI, you almost do have this idea of like uh, what's it going to be like for his lineage in the future. And when right. you really look at it from that perspective, I saw less of a movie about, oh, there's this boy and this heron, which, yes, it's such an American title. But how to live? Nah, that to me is it, it answers a lot more about what this kid feels in his shoulders, um, what that then deals with in the storyline. That's a little bit like Petite Mama, no? Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> and and the ins and outs of like what where it really becomes a parable of this idea of like how much of your family's lineage do you put on your shoulders? Um, totally. The, so the that's book, why I'm the to book is uh, how do you live? And how do you the live? original Thank title? You. Yeah, but but you got the same idea. So. I think that would have been a better way to to, to pitch the movie. So um, totally. And uh, I, I see you got Gustav's question in the live stream if you want to bring that up because I, I do think that that's where uh, easily. Do we feel like we have a bias because this one is Miyazaki is the question. I wouldn't give it a bias as much as I would give him credit. That's that's exactly where I was going to go something. with it. Yeah. Like, you know, there I, was I think a, certain, there was filmmaker, that, uh, certain, certain filmmakers have earned that extra level of consideration. Ridley Scott said a line for Napoleon that I thought yeah. was a bar. He goes, uh, the interviewer asked him, do you think that uh, your movies have um, been misunderstood or something like that? I'm, I'm going to try to bring up the quote if I have it over here. And he pretty much goes, no, it's not that my movies, uh, it's not that my movies failed. Do you think your movies failed? He goes, I don't think my movies failed. <laughs> I think the audience failed to understand him at the time, <laughs> but they always come around to it. Yeah. And just looking at his filmography, like, what are the misses? Like, Ponyo totally. is one that didn't fully connect to me, but it's like, that's like Alina's favorite. And I wouldn't argue with anybody. And I'm sure once I rewatch it, I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, there's a lot more to like here in, in its whimsicalness. So 
you you like doing the, the stocks reference. I would not bet against the stock that is Miyazaki. Totally. I don't think that's a biased thing. I think that that's a, like we're saying, is him having the credit for it. Now, compared to this year, though, I think what really connected us, also as Americans, you know, it, it would be something like Into the Spider-Verse and the way that that plays with all of the 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 movies that we watch and these franchises and how it commented on that, mm-hmm. you know, the the character of Miles Morales and, and you know, the... the the, the, the difference in what he made into the superhero genre as opposed to, you know, there's a little bit of spirited away in that main character that I think I related to a little bit more yeah. in his own filmography than I did the boy in this movie. So, yeah, I don't think it's a bad movie at all. I do think that the older I get, the more I'm going to uh, connect with it. But even though the whimsicalness of it, uh, I, I, I think in Totoro, House Moving Castle, Kiki's Delivery Service, like... I'm just more attracted to them there. That yeah. heroin was ugly, bro. <laughs> yeah, he's, that, that's the kind of interesting thing about this. Is no like, one yeah, wants to I, I'm, that. I'm mentioning like, oh, it is a really beautiful movie, and it is a really All beautiful the fire movie. At the but it, crazy. It, it, but it's also kind of like a gross movie too. Disgusting. Like, there's more bird shit than I've ever seen in an animated right? film. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Which okay, cool. Yeah. But uh, I, I, I wonder how much of that Miles is going to come in. Now, do I think that a lot of people are just like chucking it up and being like, it's Miyazaki, so it has to be good? For sure. And then you don't end up seeing it on the, the best of list? Yeah, probably. But the way that I approach Miyazaki is I see him, like you were saying earlier on, as a guy who's not trying to make something new just for the sake of making something new. I feel like he has something to say. That's why I truly yeah. do believe that this is talking about his lineage in animation, his legacy, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. and that he truly is t- uh, making movies that are going to feel like parables in the future. Movies totally. that feel so timeless because they're not talking about a specific moment in time we will have a future movie that will then commentate on spider-verse but nothing's touched spirited away totoro mononeki and i think that that's why uh the boy and the heron will yeah will will stand this time you know, just going back to the question, the bias question, I wonder if anything, maybe there's a bias working against this movie because Miyazaki has given us so many bangers that people can ooh, watch you, this ooh, one <laughs> and be like, well, it's no spirited away. It's no Howl's moving castle. Kind of right. And aren't we saying that we like Spider-Verse because all of the other stuff has kind of sucked? Like, right. Exactly. Yeah, like sometimes, sometimes you just are comparing to what's right next to it. And that I don't know. I, I also think with just taking the Spider-Verse question further, Spider-Verse feels like a movie that was built on the back of lots of other animated movies and superhero movies Very coming true. before it. It really feels like forward looking in its ambitions. Whereas this Miyazaki film is so kind of old fashioned and, and contemplative. And I love those things about it, but yeah. I, I ultimately I wonder if that's why Spider-Man sticks out more. We also had Brady in the uh, comments over in the live chat talk about uh, his comparison to who he believes is kind of running it right now. And I would agree. I think uh, the it's almost like, yeah, yeah, it's the Pixar element where you've been on it for so long that now, even if it's still good, you need to do something different. We always talk about Tom Hanks. It's like we see a new movie and it's like, yeah, Tom Hanks is always great. But it's like we're just so used to Tom Hanks. We take it for granted. I think. Yeah. Right here with like the tale of Princess Kaguya and and does he even have a new one coming out? I'm not sure what's coming next, but he's done Grave of the Fireflies in the past as well. But I, I would agree, it's Ghibli's made up by a lot more people than yeah. just Miyazaki, and I'd be curious to see how they end up expanding in the future. So uh, curious to know your thoughts on the Boy and the Heron. Have you seen the dub version? Who is the best actor, voice actor coming out of that? What are your takes on the movie? Oh, he passed away. My bad, bro. <laughs> I did not realize that. <laughs> Dang, don't you do pass away 2018? Oh, damn, oh, man. 
Uh, speaking of, Satoshi Kon's uh, festival's happening right now. Oh. I came out and I'm like, oh, new Satoshi Kon. Never mind. So, so that's my <laughs> oh, second no. one this week. <laughs> uh, then let us know your thoughts down below yeah. on The Boy and the Heron, uh, your takes on it, your interpretations of it, your favorite characters out of that one, all down below in the comments section. Yeah. Uh, we got to mention, though, it's not just a, a big week for Miyazaki. Uh, I mean, it is a big week for Miyazaki in more than just a critical sense. This is his most financially successful uh, opening weekend in the U.S. Uh, this is the first time a Miyazaki film has finished number one at the box office, which is a really exciting prospect for you know animated films and foreign films. Uh, because it's not just the success of this Miyazaki movie, but we were mentioning Godzilla, which uh, also was very, very successful. And it continues to be successful, so successful that they've extended the run through December 14th or something. Is that I mean, yeah. longer than they originally planned? This is, so with Boy and the Heron finishing number one over the weekend and Godzilla minus one featuring number three at the weekend box office here in the U S this is the first time ever that two international films have fil finished in the top three at the same weekend in the box cool. office. And they're both from Japan. So a huge week for Japanese cinema, but I do want to ask you, do you think this is a, this is a outlier or this is a sign of things to come? Hmm. Um, could be a, a mixture of both. I think when you look at television, we've been able to see a lot of big things that have come from foreign countries yeah. or international countries, I should say, that have made a splash that usually wouldn't if it wasn't for streaming. Mm -hmm. This, I think, could be appearing through that, okay, now it's people leaving the house to be able to uh, go support these movies. Right. I think dependent on the material, for sure. Uh, you also have like two different things going on here. It is the newest Miyazaki movie that people thought was yeah. going to be his final one. You have the newest Godzilla movie, right? Mm -hmm. That's also uh, been pushed with its $15 million budget. Absolutely. Uh, are you still taking that the 15 mil? I don't know if you saw the new release about his quote, I wish it was 15. <laughs> and people are like, I wish it was 15 because he wished it was more. Or I wish it was right. 15 because it was too much. I think that story is still cooking. But nonetheless... Yeah. What they did in that movie uh, has been it, – it's exhilarating, dude. It's uh, one of the, the the best outings for Godzilla that we've had. Um, I'm excited to receive my poster. And, yeah, I'm, I'm ecstatic <laughs> that it's continued. Uh, yeah. I, never, I didn't get the chance to see it in Dolby, so uh, I might even, if they, if they put it back in Dolby, go give it another watch. Yeah, I do think you, you hit the apt point here in that I don't know if it's necessarily just like sudden interest in exploring foreign cinema – uh, although there is, you know, obviously a greater hunger, I think, as audiences become uh, more used to it and American audiences also become more international and, and, and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, we've already seen with the success of Oppenheimer, with the success, relative success of the Killers of the Flower Moon, with even the relative success of Napoleon, that there is this new kind of hunger from film audiences to see the works of the great directors on the big screen. So mm -hmm. Miyazaki is part of that class, right? If he is releasing a new film for cinephiles, that's an event. That's an event that you have to show up to. Likewise, Even outside of cinephiles. Yeah, exactly. Like there, it, people recognize that it, it's sort of a special thing to get 
a new film from an all-time great auteur and you know they will try to see it in as soon as they can on the big screen. Likewise, Godzilla is a concept and an idea that translates. And even if this Easily. is a more successful Godzilla film than some of the ones that we've gotten in the past, mm. I, they it, it's a marketable idea and the film really lived up to the hype. I think it benefited yeah. greatly also from really good word of mouth. So I don't know if we're going to get a whole bunch of weekends in the future that are dominated right. by international films, but... Yeah. International films are are capable of coming from interesting people. Like I wouldn't be surprised if the next Bong Joon Ho movie, uh, not not Mickey Seventeen, which stars recognizable Americans, but the next one that he maybe does in Korea or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, would also be successful because now he's a name brand director and people are are curious about what he's going to do. That'd be really cool. It's once we realize that there's so many more movies outside of it, yeah, mm-hmm. outside of the United States, I, there, there's a lot cooking out there, and you know that's always why we uh, bring up stuff through our festival coverage and in, in the future. Yeah, there, there's gonna be a lot to play with because sometimes we end up with some bunk number ones, some horrendous number ones. But, yeah, yeah, good breakdown there. Uh, let's move on to the next movie that we have on the docket, which we have an entire spoiler after credits coming up here on the channel. So we'll keep yeah. it brief with Leave the World Behind. One that I think is definitely one that is meant to have conversations mm-hmm. more than it is to just sit there and kind of like experience it. Cause it's the people it, talking. Yeah, because it, it's about people talking, honestly, more than anything. It is the newest movie from Sam Esmail, who uh, Zach and I really enjoy. Um, it's his first movie, though, because we know of his shows. We like Homecoming. Mr. Robot is fantastic. He did that Comet movie a while back, yeah. which is a, little, a lot more indie. But yeah, this is like With a, his a much... Yeah. Uh, I, I forget whether or not that's actually the movie they met on, but um, really interesting. Okay, I could be wrong there. Don't don't uh, take my word. But yeah, uh, yeah, this is definitely a much bigger scale movie, and the first movie he's made since he's become kind of a, a name brand director in his own right. Uh, it is a post-apocalyptic movie where a middle-class family, played by Julia Roberts, Ethan Hawke, and their kids, go out into like. The middle of, I wouldn't even say the middle of nowhere, but definitely outside of New York City to stay at this very fancy Airbnb. Some bad stuff starts happening. They never really tell you what it is. And then the couple who owns that Airbnb come home to visit. Um, I was able to read the book and you can see some of the changes that happen between what the uh, story, uh, the book story really tries to tell you, which is less about this like mystery of, oh, are they bad? Are they good? But more so how people survive after an apocalypse where right. they're not really going to answer why things are happening, but more so what happens to people and how do they communicate? How, how do like classes clash with, with each other and such almost kind of like um, the boat movie where they all end up crashing and uh, Oslin's movie. Oh, that, triangle of sadness. Yeah. There's definitely yeah, a similarity there, but that like, goes farther this movie cuts yeah. before they start building that new society or what the aftermath would be and that's kind of what we end up discussing in our spoiler talk but uh your first takes on it yeah i mean i think it's a really interesting movie i think uh particularly when it's trying to be a disaster movie it's quite thrilling uh there's sort of some uh, like I don't know if you want to call it full-on homages, but elements that will remind you of other great films, uh, whether it be Children of Men or or even uh, some, you know, ecological disaster movies. Vertigo. Yeah, Vertigo, that one sequence, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, I think that as many, as, as much as there are a lot of really interesting threads, I don't know if the movie dove as deeply into its sort of character 
character showcase as I would have liked it to. You know, there's just all these fascinating ideas that kind of stay on the surface. Mm -hmm. And especially because it is such kind of like a, a twisty turning movie that relies on withholding information from you and sometimes misdirecting you the place that it ultimately ended up didn't really even feel much like an ending to me, but that doesn't mean I didn't have a good time with it or that I don't think it's worth watching. I do kind of think it's worth watching. I just also wish it maybe had another round of rewrites. Yeah. I can see that. We have a whole spoiler discussion that's going to be coming up on the channel. So let us know your thoughts, your theories, your takeaways from everybody in this movie. I also agree with Ping Sweets. It was really good to see Mahershal Ali because that man commands the screen. Yeah. And the lighting in this movie was beautiful. Like you said, Zach, I think, liked a little bit more of the shots than I did. I got a little twisty turny with, <laughs> with all of those flips. But there's a lot to like in it, even if it is a little disappointing because they focus on characters who maybe aren't the most interesting. So... Curious to know your thoughts. Let us know down below if you've caught Leave the World Behind over on Netflix. Yeah, and look forward to our after credits breakdown of it probably coming on the channel Wednesday. Uh, Another slew of movies that we have all deal with horrors. Zach's favorite genre. And (laughs) he did catch the first of these. This is a TIFF pick that was playing in the midnight section over in Toronto called Naga that was pitched to us. As the killer camel movie, Zach, what did you think? <laughs> I mean, it's certainly the most memorable uh, camel I can think of in a film, maybe at least remember, this, right? this side of Ishtar, right? For um, sure. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it treat you know, it does that really well. This is like a classic midnight movie in the sense that like I, I really wish I had caught it with a loud and kind of rambunctious crowd. It, it's sort of a movie where you need to be sitting next to someone who mutters, yo, what the fuck after certain instances <laughs> in this movie to, to really sell it. Um, it's a, it's like a freak out movie. It's an anxiety movie. It, it's sort yeah. of, I've been thinking of it as like a Saudi woman's bow is afraid because she's like taken through the, these very um, frustrating and, and um, up- upsetting different elements. She's a woman who uh, is being is going to a hip party with a, a sort of boyfriend of hers and all these different elements get in their way, whether it be the camels or this run in with an ice cream truck or or, or all the guys uh, shifting their focus to a soccer game, which I thought was a kind of funny motif in the film. Um, it, it did like really produce a lot of anxiety like i i felt myself not wanting to watch it because it's so anxiety provoking i think it does it particularly well through this really like um close-up camera that puts you right in the action but never gives you all the information you need to feel like you know what's going on you feel like you're 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 running through this night with her as she coasts from like dangerous thing to dangerous thing so it's very effective um i don't know if it really built up to a whole lot for me i think it just kind of is very good at getting that mood across and i I don't know if I, i took anything greater from it but in if for those kind of like anxiety freak out st- style of films, those like, uh, you know, those one crazy night thriller type of movies, I think mm-hmm. it's really effective and particularly because it has a really strong sense of place. It really feels connected to uh, to to the you know, the experience of uh, of this woman in Saudi Arabia who's trying to get home before this uh, curfew set by her father yeah. and trying to uh, deal with the different, you know, elements of that culture and i i just i think there's a lot to take away from the movie if it even if it made my heart race uncomfortably 
Yeah, there's some satirical moments that I heard some people get very upset at with the end. I was like, no, I think that's the the, the play on it. She's not yeah. like it's not what you think it is. It's it's almost making fun of what it's what it's commenting on there. But uh, I think another big part of the anxiety is the editing. Yes. This has some of the most insane editing in a movie. And at the Q and A, you know, they they were talking with the editor and the main guy, the director. I'll see if I can pull him up over here if he's got a picture. Hopefully, pretty much he hired like. A studio editor, someone who's worked on these movies for a long time, and then he decided to also cut half the movie. <laughs> and let me tell you, you can tell when it is the studio editor and when it's this guy doing the stuff. It is some of the most bonkers, jump cutting, match cutting, flop cutting. Like it goes <laughs> crazy, and I think that's part of the anxiety because it comes out of nowhere. Like you just don't expect it, and it feels like it's two editors matching it out. Because it is two editors in the editing room. Um, I also got to see this. This is my one midnight movie that I caught. I stayed up late. We saw it at 12. And um, you talked about sitting next to somebody who's going to be giving you the oohs and the ahs. <laughs> yeah, how about you sit, in, you sit behind the guy who runs the midnight section? <laughs> that, so all I'm seeing is him getting giddy before a moment happens. So I was like getting spoilers. It was like when we saw uh, The Lighthouse with Robert Pattinson. And I would mm-hmm. just see him get giddy before a scene happened. I was like, okay, what's about to happen here? <laughs> It was almost like preemptively letting me know um, what craziness was around the corner. So, totally. Uh, Naga, it's out on Netflix. Um, it's an interesting movie. And it was, uh, I, I don't know if it was a winner, but it did gain a little bit of traction out of Toronto. And yeah. Well, now it's available internationally. Yeah. Home. And it, it also is doing the classic Netflix festival pickup thing where they just drop it on the platform with absolutely no promotion. And, yeah. And you can't, you, you like, literally cannot find it if you're scrolling you have to search for it for sure there's also like another movie called naga so it, yeah why are they doing that did you know there's two leos on netflix also bro yeah the most complete opposite leos also <laughs> one's the what, the indian movie right the action yeah. movie and then leo <laughs> which got snubbed which we'll, we're gonna get to but yeah mm-hmm. there are two leo movies on netflix uh and they both came out in the same month so that's kind of crazy uh, moving on from Netflix, though, to two Shutter movies. I don't think you had the chance to catch It's a nope. Wonderful Knife. Um, this one is a spin on, can you guess it? It's a Wonderful Life. Scrooge. And because of that, <laughs> no, it is. It's a, it's a Wonderful uh, Life. Kind of plays on this idea of what the original movie has about a, a girl who no longer wants to be here because of a tragedy that happens in the opening part of the movie and where this masked figure attacks them in the town and turmoil happens. The main character also has a parent and kind of like a pseudo-uncle played by a crazy... I want to see if I can pull up a picture here. Um, Jason... Jason Long? Jason Long? Justin Long. Justin Long, Jason. Uh, This dude, they gave him these chompers, bro. And he plays like the realtor in this movie who only cares about like selling as much as he can in the town. <laughs> I don't even know if I'll have a picture Justin of him. Justin Long, low-key horror icon. He keeps showing up in Out these interesting horror films. Out of nowhere, dude. Yeah. And, and he's always playing like the most degenerate person. Here he is. So he's not smiling here, but you could see it right there in his mouth. He's got <laughs> these big chompers that they gave him. This man swears that he's not just a realtor of the of the town. He's like the mayor damn near. And after that that initial event, it almost becomes this dual story in where she kind of makes a wish like she was never here. And it, 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 it builds into this alternate reality. And that's where she then has to solve this case that technically was already solved at the beginning of the movie. Very interesting story. 
ain't no way you don't guess the first 10 minutes though mm. and it's also not shot the best the poster looks pretty neat but there's a lot of um direction in the performances that was a little hokey in my opinion like the drunk aunt damn near tells you huh, am i the drunk aunt and the friends are like just telling you exactly what they are and it's it's a good shutter movie i'll put it that way so right. if you're curious on a different take a horror take uh on it's a wonderful life then you got this there's been a, a slew of um christmas thanksgiving themed movies that we've been getting uh that are horror based and yeah hey people are getting their fill do you have a, a favorite horror movie that's sort of christmas themed because I, I don't know if there's any of them that have like actually really stuck with me og black christmas i guess but that's so long <laughs> yeah. ago I there can't think go. of some other ones at the moment, but like, yeah, it's very few and far between. Um, Krampus is fun. Krampus is fun. But yeah. Uh, the next one is The Sacrifice Game, another shutter horror thriller about this crew that's out there doing a bunch of killings as they search for people who have a specific like uh, like symbol on them. All of this is being uh, interjected with a school where everyone has gone home for the holidays and two girls stay back. So I've been calling this uh, horror holdovers. So as soon as they get, uh, they get, they have to stay back. This horror kind of, what's some faces back in the sixties? Who were oh. killing people? Uh, geez. Um, Charles, Charles's group. Yeah, I'm forgetting his last name, but yeah, the, Manson. the Mansons, right? Yeah. Like they're pretty much that, that crew that comes in and tries to do some turmoil at the school as they're seeking out whatever ritual that they need to do to be able to bring whatever demon back to life. And then these twists and turns come into play as the young girl who is our lead ends up realizing, I don't know, the power of friendship. This one was a little bit better than It's a Wonderful Life. I think it has a, an interesting story, but a very goofy ending. But uh, our boy, Aladdin, another role. This man had everything going for him. Kind of canceled himself when he started complaining about the company that he was demanding, needed to give him a sequel. It also didn't help that his co-star <laughs> slapped himself out of the spotlight <laughs> in Aladdin. But uh, he, he's kind of back. I feel bad because Manama he's not bad. Yeah. No, but, but he's, he's kind had, of... He's talked about how he hasn't had a lot of offers for work despite starring in like a gigantic international billion film. Billion dollar movie. Yeah. yeah. So... He's on Shudder. So there is that. The Sacrifice Game over on Shudder. Horror holdovers. But then comes the scariest one of them all, Zach. Because there's no reason why Baby Shark Big Movie over on Paramount Plus <laughs> should have been as interesting as it was. This voice cast is pretty good. Uh, it is, of course, you know, the story of Baby Shark, which for whatever reason, we were going through the top viewed videos on YouTube. Of all time? Baby Shark is king, bro. Yeah, dude, dude, I mean, dude, dude, it's way to the top. Like, those numbers are crazy. Look, a lot of parents have to keep their kids entertained out there. And, and I didn't that realize. One, yeah, it's got a lot this of is replays. All on YouTube, so this really is the big movie. Like, it's making the jump to streaming. I thought the colors were beautiful. I think the storyline's kind of goofy. They do a lot of puns in terms of, like, uh, Baby Shark is just, you know, out there in the sea and little does this pop star realize that she thinks she's the the the, the biggest talent out there when in reality she's got to go get Baby Shark. She's got to go go uh, corral him in because that really is the best singer out there. Um, I was surprised with it. Look, I don't have any kids and I still had this play in the background. <laughs> it's not bad. I'll yeah. give Paramount Plus this. You've got Baby Shark. You've got uh, Paw Patrol. They are killing it. Yeah. In the um, animation family genre. So. Children's entertainment. 
Sadly, no one has Paramount Plus for their kids, though. So it is completely void. So that is the worst thing that they possibly had out there. On top of that, did you hear their their, <laughs> their announcement? They're officially renaming Showtime, the channel? Paramount Plus with Showtime? <laughs> you know, I think you, I found a pretty interesting way that you could just condense it for, for clarity's sake. You could just call uh-huh. it Showtime. Right? Paramount doesn't know, know what they're doing, but yeah, just I just go the all the way. Also. What's wrong with calling the channel Paramount Plus, or is it because just Param- Paramount the Paramount Channel is where Yellowstone used to premiere? Exactly right. Remember that we were CBS All Access at one point. <sighs> Maybe part of the reason your streaming service isn't popular is you can't commit to a title Come up with a name. <laughs> well, you know, the Max is still holding on for dear yeah. life, so they still kind of have a chance. I didn't put this in our rundown, but there was some uh, scuttlebutt out there that Paramount Plus and Apple TV Plus are considering offering bundles, streaming bundles out there. The, I mean, the th- first this time is... I had Paramount was through Apple, the CBS yeah. All Access bundle. Look, I mean, we've been talking about this for a while, that that's the logical end result of all these different streamers. And we're Cable just going bundles. to end up with cable bundles that are actually streamer Gross. bundles. But uh, yeah, I mean, the the... The acceleration is getting there. I, I don't know. We're, we're that much closer to that day. Yeah. Well, hopefully in the future, they have a bundle that gives us all of the nominees for the Oscars because we are on the road to the ceremony that is the Golden Globes. Not the best one. So much so that I woke up this morning and I was like, Zach, did you even know these dropped? So for the most part, all of this is fresh to me. Alino read it to me in bed. I half listened because I was dozing off. Cute. So Zach... Run down to me the 2024, yeah, 2024 for 2023 nominations for the Golden Globes that have been uncanceled. Our boy reamed them a new one last year uh, in <laughs> Gerard, his yeah. uh, hosting, and I guess everyone's just forgotten about it. So, mm-hmm. so uh, do we want to start with the the big ones, or should I just go through my good and bad picks? Give me your good and bad picks, but first. What do you think? Thumbs up, thumbs down on the nominees, just as the nominees, right? It's really just a curated list. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to go thumbs down because I thought Ooh. they were boring nominees. I thought that uh, I saw some, I saw Gregory Elwood, I think it was, on Twitter sum it up best. Like, did they just go on to Gold Derby and pick the top five in every category? Like, there's not Jeez. a whole lot of surprises, not a whole lot of variety. But is that the Oscars also? Yeah, I mean, at this point, it feels like the the whole prognosticator game has kind of like taken all of the fun out of the process, and we we know so much more uh, before much, the nominations yeah. come out. But anyway, I mean, look the the movies that ended ended up leading the nominations were Barbie with nine, Oppenheimer with eight. Killers of the Flower Moon and Poor Things that got seven nominations each, and. If, if you ask me, that's a pretty great selection of movies that are both uh, critically adored and that I think there's a general audience interest around. Obviously, Poor Things hasn't been released wide yet, but I do think there's a lot of people who are curious about the new Emma Stone comedy. But these are, these are the movies that, um, whether or not you think they're necessarily the best movies of the year, I think they're the films that defined what we talk about when we're talking about movies in 2023. Obviously, Barbenheimer was huge, but there's so much different discourse that came out of Barbie and came out of Oppenheimer. And and luckily, those are both 
excellent films as well. Killers of the Flower Moon, an excellent movie. Poor Things, a really, really great movie. So, you know, this isn't a year where one of the leading candidates is A Darkest Hour or A Green Book or a movie that we're going to be upset to see getting a lot of nominations. I've seen some people think that Past Lives is a little boring. Maestro maybe is a little too overhyped. Yeah. Oh my goodness, is that better than the uh, let's put prosthetics on people's faces, which I guess Maestro (laughs) kind of is, uh, than these other ones that we never, ever, ever rewatch again. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think it's a solid list. If anything, this is the perfect list of movies that these award ceremonies have needed. Something that would actually attract people to come in. I mean, this will be a really good test of whether or not it's the movies or the shows themselves that draw ratings because there's Mm -hmm. no excuse given the the selection of movies here for people to not be invested in these categories. I think Uh, it's a slapping, but yes. You have the uh, the list in front of you, but Past Lives also ended up getting five nominations, which is a very solid performance Beautiful. from from a movie that I've seen some people saying they were worried it's going to fade into the background. Looks like it's going nah. to stick around. Uh, yep. Then another four nominations for Anatomy of a Fall, Maestro, May, December as well. Um, another category that I thought was uh, particularly good is the supporting actor category, because we've talked about who our favorite performances of the year are, and they've got pretty much everybody that we were hoping to see here uh, from the duo of Ruffalo and Defoe and Poor Things to the two Roberts, both De Niro and Downey Jr. We have Ryan Gosling from Barbie and, of course, cannot forget about Charles Melton in May, December. A little bit of uh, cheating. The Golden Globes have room for six nominees in their categories, not five. I mess with it, bro. I mess with it. I know you're big on the numbers and I'm always pushing another one. I am all here for that. I love it. I mean, look, uh, they got in more nominations for things that we like, so I think that's cool. Um, it, it It is kind of like it feels like these are the six who have been decided upon. And there are some other performances out there that I, I would love to see at least get some acknowledgement. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, I, this is a particularly given that the Golden Globes have room for comedy. This would have been an awesome place to see Glenn Howerton and Blackberry show up. Um, yes, I also point. rewatched How to Blow Up a Pipeline this week. And I think Forrest mm-hmm. Good Luck is just like so intense and incredible in that movie, but is being completely forgotten when it comes to award season. Which one was so- he? Uh, he, Michael, the one who's like preparing the the explosives the bomb, and stuff, the bomb maker. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, look, it, it's hard to argue against any of the performances that were actually included here. This is a really, really stacked category. Yeah, it's it, it's gonna be pretty good, and I, I agree with you. I know that this is the the supporting is the only one where they don't split it. it they kind of combine everybody, which is why I'm fine with six. And shoot, right. might as well have made it eight, ten. Um, there you go. But yeah, keep going. Uh, So another category that's pretty interesting is best picture drama, because in the past, even we we, there was a controversy over Parasite not getting nominated in this category because it was relegated to their non-English films category. Oh, they fixed it? We see three separate non-English films, and I am including Past Lives in there. That is their distinction, even though it is an American movie. But you got... uh, Go ahead. Was that the Minari thing? Yeah, the they the ones who did exactly. that too? So yeah, exactly. no, they were guilty of that also. Okay, good point. Yeah, so Anatomy of a Fall, Past Lives, and Zone of Interest, all three of those movies making the cut for Best Picture Drama, along with Maestro, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, and Oppenheimer. Uh, so Damn. a lot That's of really good worked. movies there. <laughs> That's spanky worked. Yep. Um, oh, man. I- I also was a fan of their selections in the comedy actor and comedy actress categories uh, because a lot of them are not 
people who I think are really in the discussion for uh, for Oscars, but are also giving excellent performances. Uh, we have Nicolas Cage making the cut for Dream Scenario, uh, Timothy Chalamet for Wonka, which I haven't seen yet, Matt Damon for Air, who's solid in that movie, Paul Giamatti okay. for The Holdovers, who I'm thinking more and more yeah. might be my favorite yes, best actor performance of the year. Uh, oh, we'll but I was afraid. Joaquin Phoenix. Good. That's Good. an excellent, excellent performance in a movie it that really, really divides people. But I don't think anybody is like divided on how good and effective he is in that role. It's because. As I go through all of my posters. It's because he's so effective. <laughs> exactly. That I, people, that I think people were so disgusted by the movie. Like that is a, a benefit. That is a, a, pos, a positive. It, it is showcasing that he was too good at being so anxious that people were like, I cannot handle this. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, rounding out the category, another one of our favorite performances from this year is uh, Jeffrey Wright in American Fiction. So I, I, what I like about them having this category is they do really opens up, yeah, opens up the the awards to more than like the same ten to twelve movies that are getting nominated in every category. If you want to switch over to the uh, comedy actress category, we have Fantasia Barino from The Color Purple, Jennifer Lawrence for No Hard Feelings. She's like crazy. so great in that movie even though I don't like love the movie um, Natalie Portman Fun. in May December Alma Poisty for Fallen Leaves I again I didn't mm. love the movie but it's a really cool acknowledgement mm -hmm. of her performance in it okay uh, then you get Margot Robbie for Barbie and Emma Stone for Poor Things interesting okay um, so again, going between these two yeah. I feel like from this list I think it's Giamatti and Wright they're yeah. gonna move on yeah, those two are the ones who are like actually in consideration for Oscars. Yeah. And maybe because of that, they're yeah. the ones who are really the contenders to win this category. True. And then for for this one, um, we're still embargoed on the color purple, but I thought mm -hmm. Fantasia definitely earned her spot here easily. <sighs> but is she going to make it over Emma Stone and Natalie Portman? I don't yeah. know. And the more that we keep seeing the Barbie stuff, I know everyone's a lock on um, supporting with uh, Gosling. Ryan. Do you think she's going to sneak in for lead? I think so. I mean, I honestly. Why, bro? I, that's limiting the five. I know. it's it's It cuts the category down. But look, she's Ugh. extremely effective in it. And I don't know if there's a lot of actors out there who could pull it off. Ironically, one of the only other ones I feel like could is also in this category. Emma Stone and Poor Things. Um, but okay. I wonder if if Margot also is getting additional credit for what an integral role she played in getting Barbie made. Like she is a a right, active producer on the movie, and I, sometimes I think the, that gives you a bump too. But you get the nomination <laughs> for producer <laughs> in the best picture category. Also, we were talking about supporting having the extra six. Yeah, one, two, three, four, five, six here too. Yeah, and yeah. this is lead. Exactly. So uh, it doesn't I'm exactly I like it. limit our our selections when we get to the Oscars. Like there's going to be a lot of people on Oscars morning being They're like, well, I was a Golden out, Globe yeah. nominee. Maybe I'm going to get it here, too. So, uh, uh, nah. All right. Let's let's talk about you some think of the things be surprised. Oh, and they'd bump up the categories uh, for the for the Oscars. Yeah. I mean, I no. think I think it's time they did, to be honest. I think Especially, it's time they did. Especially if you're going to actually nominate 10 for Best Picture, maybe maybe it makes sense to have at least eight in some of the other categories, right, maybe why seven. Not? Yeah. All it does is, it, all it's been doing is hurting you because the biggest thing every year is the snubs. 
if there was only a way to clear out those three snubs. Now, mind you, it doesn't mean they're going to get nominated, but it would open up those like two or three that end up causing all this right fuss. It's funny because on the following in day. so many years where like Viola Davis gets snubbed for for what uh, I forget the name of the movie uh, from last year that she was in the um, Warrior Woman King. Woman King, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it always feels like those snub performances are like the sixth one, right? And if they had a sixth slot. Thank then you. we'd have so much less debate about these awards. It fixes your debate. And on top of that, oh, no, having Jennifer Lopez just get the nom. She's not going to win. Right? But for her to have gotten the nom, I don't know. Maybe that would help all the campaigning that you just mm-hmm. nipped in the bud when when Hustlers, I didn't even care for that movie that much, was trending like crazy. It, yeah. it would only benefit them. You know what I'd actually like to see is obviously the Oscars for several years were doing that floating number where it was somewhere between five and ten nominees based on how many votes they got. I, like I think it. that'd be great because sometimes there is a clear top five and sometimes yeah. it's more of a top seven, top eight. Yeah. And look, getting nominated is an honor in and of itself. And I don't think it's bad that the Oscars switched the stinginess that they've had, which was to mm-hmm. have it be very reserved. Open it up. There's still only going to be one winner. I think it only benefits the show as a whole to get more nominees in there. Uh, should we Make move on to some of my my dislikes, starting with the best director <sighs> category? All right. Hit me. All right. So I think this is a pretty solid collection of, of directors. I'm not really that aggrieved with seeing Martin Scorsese, Christopher Nolan, Yorgos Lanthimos, Greta Gerwig, and I'm happy for Celine's song to sneak in there alongside Bradley Cooper from Maestro. Um, but I do think the thing that I don't like about it is this sort of is a bad sign for one of our favorite movies of the year, The Holdovers. Uh, Alexander Payne doesn't make the cut. And I personally think I might have him over two or three of the nominees here. Mm. Um, I don't know. As much as I enjoy Maestro, I still don't know if I think that Bradley's direction is like one of the best things I've seen this year. I think the movie is a bit uneven in certain parts and as magnificent as some of it is. I think a lot of other directors made more cohesive, well, like full, fully put together movies than he did. Yeah, that movie should get makeup. I don't care for it to get lead, but there are way better directors than yeah. what he was going for there. Yeah. And and we speak that as people who both enjoyed Maestro, enjoyed who both thought it was a movie. good movie. You but... saw what was going around about that man being so thirsty for the Oscar, which you and I have known for a minute already. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, there's few people Damn. on this planet who want an Oscar more than Bradley Cooper. I think some people are reading into his comments in the actors nah. on actors. Uh, long, more long mo- people. Because I believe it. <laughs> I, it's petty. I personally, I, maybe you think it's petty. I personally think it's more him saying like his limitations than pettiness. But maybe there's a little bit of campaigning going on there. No, I know people like Bradley Cooper. I know exactly how they speak and that's how they speak. <laughs> I think he knows exactly what he's doing. It, it's too orchestrated. Um, but uh, in terms of uh, the other directors, Greta Gerwig, do you see you're making it all the way for uh, the Oscar nomination as well for Barbie? <laughs> I I'd think rather so. I, I like the script a lot, but it's also like I think that's another case of like the movie being so popular and well received also really helps because mm-hmm. like it, she's been able to sort of ride that line between um, something that is a 
audience pleaser and something that is also critically beloved. And, you know, I think there's also a lot of support for Greta Gerwig and, uh, as a filmmaker, a too. Um, you know, it'd be nice if the best director lineup was not all male. I'm sure I'm sure the Oscars would love that, too. Uh, I mean, I, I remember always the jokes being that Greta Gerwig was the only female to ever sneak in if uh, right. Bigelow wasn't making a movie that I'm going to be her. <laughs> um, so it, it's cool to see Celine Song on there as well. Uh, but I think when it comes down to, who'd you say? Uh, holdovers. You, you saw the campaign against Alexander Payne, though. Yeah. Uh, which I think that's I, definitely going to affect. It's, I think it will too. Although I think uh, I think I've read that he's tried to clear that up, but oh, well, you need know. to work a little harder, bro. Because I yeah. woke up to that news and I was like, "Whoa, that's a pretty big, uh, pretty big story there." Yeah, and a uh, shout out to Luna in the live stream who 100%. also mentions uh, that Todd Haynes absolutely deserves to be go. in here. Like the, the May December. You can say a lot of things about May December, and I've seen some criticisms of it, but it is a movie that is so like well calculated the tonal balance is so particular it feels like it's walking on a tightrope and uh, you know we we got a comment on our may december review uh suggesting that maybe brian de palma would be better suited for the material and i, I just could not disagree more i, I think I, it'd uh, be interesting it'd like, be interesting but movie. it also would be exploitative and i, I think haynes is able to mm. really lie the ride the line in a yeah. much more interesting way they don't want a de palma movie y'all saying you wanted the problem yes, yes. it's like the killers uh discord where they're like, ah, I wish it was the FBI. No, you don't. Because <laughs> then you'd be complaining <laughs> the opposite way. Um, I personally would put um, Todd over your boy uh, from Holdovers if yeah. we had to choose. Because no, simply that... put, I, I like Giamatti, but I think Charles Melton got nominated. Natalie uh, Portman got nominated. Yep. Did uh, Morgan get nominated? I have actually, I think she did, but I. That's I can't... a travesty if she did not. Yeah, I think she did. I, I don't okay, have she it in front of me. So right off the bat, as a director, I think he's got some of the best performances that he got out of his actor. So how is Absolutely. that not a nomination, personally speaking? Absolutely. Uh, clicking over, The Color Purple is also one of the losers of the evening. I know you are embargoed from it. I still haven't mm. seen it, uh, but there's a lot of people who were expecting it to be a, a uh, somewhat significant player uh, yeah. in the awards talk and yeah. the Golden Globes are made for a movie like The Color Purple or even Wonka to show up because it's they've got that whole category for musical comedy yet neither is able to crack the top six uh, with Air, American Fiction, Barbie, The Holdovers, May, December and Poor Things being the nominee for Best Picture. Uh, it, it definitely seems like it's going to be an uphill battle for color purple to get into the best picture race. I don't know if this is necessarily mm. like a nail in the coffin, but it, it's probably getting close to that. One of the biggest things I'd give for the movie is I think it has a fantastic ensemble and uh, without going too full review in it, I, I do think that it's going to be a contender for a lot of these. If the golden globes didn't give it, I think you're going to see a lot of other award circuits like, hear that backlash and go like, oh, no, yeah, we're definitely going to fit it in there. I think it's got some really good uh, supporting performances that were also nominated in here. Fantasia got a nomination also as lead. Mm -hmm. um, but out of this bunch right here, I think you and I have been rooting for American Fiction, Barbie, Holdovers, May, December, and Port Things to make it into the final 10 at the Oscars. Air? Yeah, I, I mean, Air keeps getting brought up in some of these year-end things. And I don't know if it's people just like holding on to the predictions they made in April or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> Always, look, I, right? I dig Air. I think Air is a really fun movie. Um, I think in a weaker year, I would have right. nominated Air. But this is it's a like really strong movie sure. year. Yeah. 
I think it's their equity push. You know, they had the whole yeah. uh, artist equity that they're pushing there. And Golden Globe said, yes, for sure. Whatever you need. Let's go. <laughs> Make us look good, please. Exactly. Yeah. Um, this was interesting. At the best stand-up comedian car- uh, comedy special category, uh, I was pretty thrown off because this is like somebody who hasn't listened to comedy in like 15 years' list. You got Ricky Gervais, uh, Trevor Noah, who's probably like the youngest person nominated here, Chris Rock, Amy Schumer, Sarah Silverman, Wanda Sykes. I mean, some of these specials are pretty good, but like none of these specials are any of these people's best work. They're just the biggest names. Yeah. But I, I was like, even surprised that like John Mulaney couldn't crack this list. He's he, oh, given how what? big he is. There are a lot of younger people who I know wouldn't be able to make the cut. Mm-hmm. But John Mulaney knocks all of them out. I've listened to every single one of these. Yeah. Sarah Silverman's is probably the best one out of the bunch. By like a hair. Yeah. I, I like the uh, I like some of Trevor Noah's special as well. This isn't the new one, though, right? Because I know he's got another one. I'm actually not sure if it's his newest one. Yeah, um, I think this is supposed to be like the one that drops next week. So I don't know how the hell. It got oh, okay, so probably not. You see what I mean? Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I don't get I don't get it. Um, yeah. The Ricky Gervais one was atrocious. I, I hate explaining comedy comedies. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, the one of the side ones was fine. But I agree with you. These are all talented people, icons getting nominated for what was not their best stuff. And you have a lot of up and comers who I think that did a much better job. Absolutely. Uh, we also have and John the- Mulaney was was fantastic. I don't even see how that doesn't get a nomination. Yeah, I it, I like this special that better than all six that are on here. Yeah. Um, we also have the inaugural best cinematic and box office achievement wow. category because the Golden Globes looked at the uh, response to the best popular movie Oscar and said, we need some of that backlash for ourselves. Um, and it's just so funny because half of the movies that are here are nominated in other categories anyway. It kind of feels like not like they didn't actually need to have this one this year. Uh, they got Barbie. They got uh, Oppenheimer. They got. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, Super Mario Bros. And, of course, they made some room for Guardians of the Galaxy 3, John Wick Chapter 4, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, and you can't have an award show without her, Taylor Swift, The Eras Tour. You think we're getting Taylor Swift showing up to the Golden Globes? Uh, Yeah, she might get a a, a globe with it. (laughs) I think that's the only way she shows up if she's been promised uh, (laughs) that she's winning this category. Look, it's they've been. Is it still going to be on Sunday night? Uh, probably. Your CBS yeah, has been live doing sports. Sunday, January seventh. Yeah, PM. CBS already had her on the jumbotron at the Chiefs game. So why would they go. not have her on the jumbotron for the Globes? Come on! <laughs> and this is what we're saying. This is a category that is only there for the purpose of being able to attract well, the Marvel fans, Guardians, yeah. maybe some action fans with John Wick and Taylor Swift, because them appearing at your show gets people to tune in. It's as simple Absolutely. as that. And that's all. Yeah, I mean, I also it, don't see how it's not hers. I mean, it's Barbie's for sure. Maybe. Yeah. But I mean, like Taylor's was, that's a cinematic achievement. That's an achievement. I think you could make a case for Oppenheimer, given that that's not a movie that quote unquote should make a lot of money. And it still did. And you look at the success it's had on DVD and for with the 4K selling and stuff like that. But I agree with you. It's probably going to be Barbie or Taylor Swift. You know, Taylor Swift yeah. also uh, recorded that like uh you know, innovative deal where she went directly to the theaters and stuff like that. So that actually is kind of like an achievement Achievement, in box office if we're being like literal about it. But, you know, 
I don't know. They better get a Swifty boost. That's all I'm saying. The, the ratings they're, they're better get a Swifty boost if they're going for this. They've seen their Sunday football. Also, yeah. I think Fast X made a little bit more than some of these, and it's not on there. <laughs> so they are still also picking and choosing, like, not the top five from the box office. Yeah. They're kind of, like, finagling it around. That was but... just a box office achievement, not a cinematic and box office <laughs> achievement. Although, if you ask me, Jason Momoa is cinema in that movie. He so, was cinema. So let's be I'd real. put that over Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, do you think the Oscars are going to integrate theirs? Because remember, theirs was kind of like a commercial break bumper. Yeah. It wasn't I category. Think, I, I think that they did it so kind of like slapdashed and it really kind of didn't even make the ceremony more exciting and they got so much backlash to it, not just from viewers, but from people within the Academy that they may not do it yet. They may try a version of it in the future, but I think it's going to be at least a couple of years before they try something like this again. Yeah. All right. And then the last one that kind of goes with what we were mentioning earlier. Uh, yeah. The best picture animated category, which has six nominees. They are the boy and the heron elemental Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse, the super Mario bros movie, Suzume and wish. And despite Having one more slot than the Oscars do. No love for my boy Adam Sandler's Leo movie. No love for another Netflix animated movie that we liked, Nimona. And worst of all, where's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem? That is true. Damn. All right, let me scroll over here because they're not going to have it there. Best motion pictures. Uh, look, I, I don't see why Wish got the nom. That makes That's no the... sense to me. That's probably the most egregious one here. I don't like the Super Mario Bros. movie very much, but it's a it huge makes sense movie it and it, it makes looks sense. beautiful. It makes sense. But Wish? Like, yeah. I understand Suzume. I, under, I even understand Elemental. But I think Wish definitely took a spot from uh, Leo, which you and I are supporters of. But also, like you were saying, I think Nimona would have been a perfect one because out of all of these, you know, that would have added another... Uh, it wasn't fully 2D, but at least another animation style. And I agree with you, too. TMNT. Uh, I've been hearing people really push the idea of that being Seth Rogen's first nomination since he is producer. Mm. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, both Mario and the Spider-Verse movie ended up with three nominations across the Golden wow. Globes with uh, some song and score and, and writing nominations, okay. I think, getting thrown in there. Um, so basically, Golden Globes are saying Super Mario and the Spider-Verse movie are equal. They're just equal? as good as one another. Ain't no way, bro. One's an original score that I'm still <laughs> hearing interviews from. And this one's just a mashup. What are we doing here? Okay. Yeah. Sure, 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 sure. Any other categories or, or nominees that were interesting to you or stood out to you? Categories that you think we should break down? Um, Scrolling through some of these here. Uh, we didn't talk about lead over here with Nyad getting a couple <laughs> nominations as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's swimming season. I don't know. Good for her, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, another... If we're going over those nominees a little bit more closely, people like uh, Annette Benning and Nyad and people like Kaylee Spaney and Priscilla feel like they're kind of getting in there just because the, the categories are bigger, like you mentioning. I don't I don't think they're actually in contention for the Oscar at this point. Um, but Carrie Mulligan, Greta Lee, Lily Gladstone, Sandra mm -hmm. Huller. Uh, more and more, I'm seeing Sandra Huller show up in these Sandra. things. So, yeah. I think she might be that, that, that uh, foreign language pick. This one was interesting. Very key on Saltburn. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. So Saltburn ended up with two nominations, not just here. Uh, supporting actress Rosamond got in, which is really? a little bit crazy. I mean, I love Rosamond's performance in that, but it's not exactly what I would think about when I'm 
thinking about my favorite supporting actress performances of the year. Uh, that's interesting. And Julianne Moore I mean, did get in, so we, we're confirming there that. There she so, is. Yeah. All right. Uh, but yeah, do, do you think, is Rosamund worthy of the supporting actress slot as much as we liked her in that movie? Hey, look, I'm going to take Rosamund over Jodie Foster. That's a fact. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. She is our favorite part of the movie. Yeah. But that, that is a surprising one. Um, nah, out of these right here, I would definitely put Danielle Brooks in. I thought she did phenomenal in the color purple. Divine mm-hmm. Joy Randolph, I think, is your and I's uh, lock to win. But yeah, I, I don't know. Julianne Moore is really good, dude. I was about to say, like, the more I think about Julianne Moore's performance, yeah, the more I love that too. Fantastic. I did also rewatch the Holdovers this week, and and Divine Joy Randolph is so so amazing in that movie. The heart, yeah. So hey, it's it's going to be a very exciting um, award season for sure. Uh, out of these, you know, I'm still stuck on there. I think Willem Dafoe is going to be the one to get bumped, and I am okay with any of those first five gentlemen winning it. Same. I, although, I think I'm pulling for, for Downey. I don't know. I, I really, really like that I'm going for De Niro. <laughs> ooh, ooh. Uh, but I also like Mark Ruffalo, and Charles Melton will, will be just fine with me. Uh, screenplays. Let's talk screenplays since we can get yeah. to fully go into the... Uh, do they do original and adapted, or is it just screenplay? No, they just do screenplay. So this is the one category where they give fewer nominations than the Oscars do. Mm. Uh, and and as a result, you see some other films that I think we're hoping stay in the discussion, uh, like May, December, which maybe is the best script of the year, like American Fiction, which is another crackling script out there, did not make yeah. the cut, which I'm, I'm a bit uh, surprised and not ha- that happy with. I think they did su- choose a, a pretty solid selection of scripts there. I don't know if one in particular jumps out to you. I, I think I my leaning is towards either um, Oppenheimer or Poor Things, maybe, maybe Barbie. I'd go Killers or Poor Things. So we'll settle on poor things. How's that? Yeah, I can see that. What about score? Do you have a favorite from the selections there? Ooh, fantastic. It's so different. Um, yeah. I definitely, you know, with Boy Being So Fresh, I want to go back and listen to that. Kills of the Flower Moon is incredible. It is fantastic. It would also be a posthumous award, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, Robbie um, Robertson. Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer is my Mad Max one of this year. That's the one you just put on. And yeah, you know, Nolan's always always knows how to, how to get the best big. out of his sound. Ludwig made my Spotify rap this year is how much I Damn, love the Oppenheimer that's score. all you had to yeah, say? <laughs> yeah. uh, I think the one from Poor Things is so eerie. Every time it played in the trailers, it got everyone so confused. Yeah. yeah. The Spider-Man one, I think, is one of the most innovative ones as well. Just the way that they were able to incorporate different things and, and themes from uh, the, the different worlds that they had. It, it has been fascinating to hear uh, uh, Pemberton's uh, background to that because I also think he's one of the most innovative ones. I mean, we always go back to the way that he was able to digitize and do different things for the Steve Jobs score right i have only scratched the surface on what he did with this one and he's doing a lot of interviews i highly recommend click any interview you see with him it's gonna it's gonna boost spider-man up to the top Mm -hmm. but then you have michael levy score and it's just like the complete opposite of all the ones we had just mentioned Mm -hmm. that one's just that's a horror score yeah and it's so so effective it's not at last i checked available yet which is frustrating to really? me as a person who wants to oh, re-watch okay. re-listen maybe it has become since i looked for it like a couple weeks ago because you shouldn't bro it'll mess you up it'll mess up your sleep yeah. cycle i mean to me those last four that you talked about are, are probably the standouts to me and i mean i like the robbie robertson score as well but i've spent so much time listening to oppenheimer poor yeah. things and, and and zone of interest are so distinctive and also so well suited for the types of stories they're for telling sure. like it's for not sure. just about having the most pretty score it's about making the music that works for the movie. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, Daniel Pemberton is definitely doing that too. And that across the Spider-Verse mm-hmm. mo- score. 
I too would go Oppenheimer, but solid list. And it's good knowing that I wouldn't be upset with one winning. Yeah, definitely. Original song, <laughs> three slots for Barbie. I could be wrong. I'm not sure that they can do that at the Oscars, but illegal. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's just go right off the bat. Uh, well, let's go with the, the, the non Barbie ones. She came to me. Have you seen it yet? I have not seen it yet. Uh, this is a Bruce Springsteen nomination. You, what the heck, bro? Wait till you watch this movie. It is it, like, it makes no sense. It's yeah, a fever dream things. of a movie. It is very weird. I didn't even realize that it was an original song. So I guess <laughs> there you go. Um, Peaches, I think, is going to be a contender. I think people uh, really love this. Yeah. And I think it's going to have one of the bigger performances of the night for the Oscars. I think it is a lock for Jack Black to get his first nomination. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it wins, it's going to be up to the Barbie ones. Uh, maybe Rustin will be that uh, that extra pick where no one really knows the song too much, but it ends yeah. up being like the, the, the anthem one. Out of the three Barbie ones, though, I'm knocking Dance the Night Away already off the yeah, that's clearly the the also ran from the Barbie ones. Yeah, it's I'm just Ken or what was I made for? And exactly. out of the two, I would love to see I'm just Ken be the nomination. But I do think what was I made for is the better song. And you're also a lock with Billie Eilish. Yeah, um, right. I, I think. Yeah. And it's also that like both songs play a pretty integral role in the film. Um I'm just Ken maybe slightly more than what was I made for, but it's, it's so like present in the big moments of that movie. Uh, the Billie Eilish bump is going to help it as well. It's also part of the score. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a good song. Yeah. It's, it's good. I, I, I don't know. I just kind of don't want peaches to win to, if I'm being completely really? honest. Yeah. As, I, I've I, come around to it a little you? bit more. Not that I'm like ruining for it. I don't right, got a right. Peaches shirt like, or I love, anything. I love Jack Black, but it's, I it's, love Jack Black. It's pretty yeah. repetitive. <laughs> yes. Um, and then I don't think we got into too much of the TV so far, but just no. your picks right off the top. I think we're both a lock in on this one. Yeah. I mean, look, Succession delivered one of the greatest final seasons of a show of all time. And it's one of the greatest shows of all time. I don't, I don't know how you can go away from it in a lot of these yeah. categories. It, it really dominated the uh, dominated the nominations, uh, not just getting that best drama nomination, but I think uh, three actor and supporting actor nominations and a couple supporting actress nominations as well, like down to Alan Ruck and J Smith Cameron getting that's some, some good, nods. Yeah, that's crazy. So yeah, it's gotta be succession. Um, but now I understand why they renewed the diplomat on Netflix. They really had a lot going <laughs> on that one. Uh, music or comedy series. Uh, to me, the bears got the belt right now. Same. Um, Barry had a really excellent end, but I, I still but, would give the slight edge to, to the bear here. Is this not compromising a little bit? It well, is not the comedy in the yeah. bear or in Barry for these last seasons that stood out. And you know that. True. It is the true. most tense of episodes that really stood out for us. Yeah. I feel that's a little category fraud. Yeah. I mean, it's still like there are still a lot of comedic elements in Barry, but in its final mm-hmm. season in particular, it really is like the thing you're watching for is the drama of it. Yeah. It's a and, downfall. I don't know. It, um, Same thing for the bear in, in get, the, the the family scene. Yeah. Although the, it, I don't know, I still find those shows funny. So I don't know. <laughs> uh, did you ever catch Jury Duty? No. I. That's probably going to be my watch before uh, before do it, we dude. do our list. Yeah. Because I do think that he deserves a nomination, uh, James Marsden. Uh, but before we get there, we also have the limited one, which uh, I guess that means Beef isn't getting a season two. It's apparently. <laughs> I mean. Uh, 
my lock would be Until that one. Although now that they got the nomination, maybe they can switch <laughs> yeah. it up. Now they can do whatever they want. But uh, yeah. I know I have to catch up on all the light we cannot see. I know that was playing at the festivals. Daisy Jones was giving out really cool stuff at South by, but I yeah. never caught it. To me, it's beef until I finish Fargo. Clearly, they got all the screeners, and it was crazy to see Juno Tempa also get a nomination. Yeah, um, that that the new season has been excellent, but I have to give a lock in for beef. Is this the weakest category we've looked at so far? I've heard not great things about yeah. all the light we cannot see. I, I couldn't really? really get into uh, fellow travelers. I've heard bad things about lessons that was a in chemistry. Well, I, I I can't speak on the last two, but I, I don't think it's the worst category. Mm. But maybe maybe the weakest, I guess, if you want to phrase it that way. Yeah. Um, best performance. I will say, actually, coming up here, Curse should have been on there. But yeah. Yep. Well, Curse should have been on there. Uh, if I'm seeing her nomination right here, definitely should have been up there. Um, out of these right here, who do you got? I mean, I, I think Emma Stone is doing something really, oh, really special on the Curse. So she's going home with two globes. There we go. It, it, and it's, uh, it says a lot because our girl Sarah Snook's in there, too. Sure, she snuck right in, but I, I'm giving it to Emma Stone. Uh, male actor. The succession guy, the succession guy, or the succession guy? <laughs> I think I'm going to go with the, the second succession guy, or maybe the third. It, third. Kieran, I'm going with the third. Yeah, the third. It's it's Kieran. It was Kieran's season. We talked about it this. Was like Kieran's he, season. They really, really gave him so much in that final season. So For sure, through yeah. and through. Both locking that one in. Uh, and then musical or comedy lead for female actress, Natasha. Yeah, Natasha is great on Poker. I mean, she kind of is half the reason to watch Poker Face. Um, would not be surpri- su- surprised or upset with Quinta uh, Quinta winning for uh, Abbott Elementary. I also uh, really love Io on the Bear. I I, she, I don't know if I'm gonna choose her here. I, it'd be easier to choose her in supporting, but that is category fraud. Yeah. That is category fraud for sure. I know that they're trying to build them up to be leads, and yeah, to a degree. It's not. It's not the most category fraud. Yeah, I do it, think that she's able to hold up a lot of it, but it, she's uh, kind of like in that weird nether space between lead and supporting because, like, she does. She is like the female lead of that show, but they they share the ball so much on the bear that I almost feel like she didn't get enough to do in this season. I guess my only thing for it would be that if she is considered lead, then so should cousin. Yeah, Cousin had yeah. a whole episode, and Cousin takes a lot of the brunt as well, and they both end up taking orders from the lead as well. Yeah. I am not against her being lead, but then so should Cousin. Right, right. Uh, shout out Rachel Brosnan. and I did not finish the last season, but I did catch up all the way to the final one, and I think she still got it. I think she still got it. I would not be mad. Yeah. But Natasha Leon for me. All right. Male actor in a TV series, musical, or comedy. I already know yours, so I'm going to go Jeremy Allen White. I like Jeremy Allen White a lot. Um, I, I think Bill Hader is excellent, but I, I don't know. Um, Jeremy Allen White's really good on it, too. I also want to just throw a little bit of love Jason Siegel's way because I think he is so much of weight what makes shrinking uh, fun to watch. I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I will go Bill Hader just given that it is the final season of Barry. I see in the chat that I'm already going to get peeved for this next one, so... I will look at this list, and then I will get mad afterwards. For Anthology Female Lead, Ali Wong already uh, won, if I'm not mistaken, for the Gothams. Uh, The rest of them, Brie Larson, Elizabeth Olsen. (sighs) My only two that I think would compete with her is you know how much I like Rachel Weisz and Dead Ringer. She's playing a a for there. She is fantastic. I also think Juno Temple has been really good in Fargo, but like we, we have four episodes i I almost can't even consider her because i've seen i've only seen one or two episodes rather which she is great 
Yeah, she's um, That said, Pink Sweets is right. I don't know what the heck. What the heck? Where did she put it over here? Dominique Fishback not being nominated is a travesty. Yeah. Now, that yeah. is like it's the one performance that I think beats Ali Wong's for sure. Yeah, I would yeah. agree with Bad you. Call. Bad call. Bad call for sure. I, Swarm would have also made that limited series uh, right? selection more interesting. Nah, that's so lame. Um, all right. And then we got a uh, limited lead with David Oyelowo in Lawman Best Reeves. He's really good in it, dude. I started watching it. We got oh, yeah? the first two episodes. He's really good. All it's right. on a Paramount Plus plus Showtime. I don't know if you've seen that. It's a really, it's a new <laughs> streaming service. It's not uh, a cable John channel? Hamm- no, 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 no. It's, it's the new uh, innovation in TV. Yeah. John Hamm and Fargo. It's pretty decent. Yeah. It's pretty decent. Um, you said you hated Matt Bomber in Fellow Travelers. Sam Just Claflin. didn't find it interesting. I, I always forget that he's in this. Stephen Yoon, it's pretty good. Might be my pick for this because I think he was even he was the better one out of the two in beef. So yeah. I'm gonna go Stephen. I'd go Stephen. House Plumber. Did you watch well. that? I watched a little bit of it. It wasn't. Very, it was not very good. So like what? Never I don't mind. know. I'm not gonna waste time on that. But yeah, okay. Uh, best performance by a female actor in a supporting role in television. I think that combines all of the genres. Yeah. Uh, your luck. I I don't know. Um, I I actually really liked Meryl Streep on the most recent season of Only Murders. I think she's quite. Uh, I think it might have it. to be hers. Yeah. Yeah. Abby was better in season two of The Bear, but she's still Christina a small Ritchie. part. I'm a little she's surprised still, that it's she's too even. Small, right? Yeah, it's a little small for for this. Yeah. It's just a chance to give the bear yet another slot. <sighs> uh, Christina Ricci is great, but I thought the most recent season of Yellow Jackets was a mess, was and not what they do the first. with her character is also part of why it's such a mess. Yeah. Um, yeah, James I mean, Smith I, Cameron is way too small. I, that's the thing. I love her too, but she's she's a recurring actress, not a supporting actress. Even if she gets credited like a supporting actress, I, I would give it to Meryl Streep here. Or Debicki. I th- feel like they're going to give it to Debicki. It's yeah, I haven't crown. watched it. I like Debicki, but crown, I haven't right? watched yeah. it. I feel like she's always sweeping it. All right. Uh, lead. Or sorry, supporting. Yeah, a couple more Milanker. succession guys here in Ruck, Skarsgård, and McFadian. Um it's also the category with Eben Moss Bacharach, and, and obviously he's such an affecting, integral part of the bear. I probably would go him and then get sent a scene from Succession that would make me regret that choice. Yeah. I mean, Skarsgård's really good, too. No, Skarsgård, wait. So Skarsgård's my favorite out of the Succession boys for the last season. Yeah. All right. Easily. Did you have, who'd you have above? It's either him or, or Eben Moss Bacharach, maybe. Well, from the succession boys. Oh, I mean, McFadden is so good. Like, even just he—he's in so many amazing scenes. Like, I'm just thinking back to the balcony scene between him and Sarah Snook, and it's just one of the most well-acted scenes I've ever seen on television. And to be like, yeah, Mm -hmm. but, but, but forks, right? Like, I don't, I don't know. It is really good. This is actually a really good category. I don't watch the morning show, but I hear Billy Crudup's the best part about it. Billy Crudup was what got me to watch two episodes for sure. (laughs) Alexander, though, is still my lock for Succession. I think that uh, Cousin is probably the heart of the show. Yeah. But you got to check out James Marsden. And I was waiting for that. I am not upset with him being out of here. This man is cooking in that show. So please watch that show. If he comes out of nowhere to win, like I'd be a little like, wait, what? But I, I would actually be really excited with that uh, decision. But um, I'm going to go with the bear. Yeah. I'm going to go with the bear. Uh, Luna is pointing out no Harrison Ford here. I, I would totally uh, love to see Al- Harrison Ford. I think I you could probably mean. slot him in ahead of Alan Ruck as much as I love Alan For Ruck sure. in succession. Yeah. Um, 
we went through the comedy ones, which weren't that good. And that's pretty much everything for the Golden yeah. Globes. Let us know your picks down below, your thoughts, who you felt got snubbed, why we should cancel the Golden Globes again, all the different things down below in the comments section. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. Um, overall, though, I don't think they're the worst picks. I think like the holdovers and the color purple were probably the biggest snubs, in my yeah. opinion. I, I never expect them to go too out in getting stuff like the BlackBerry nom for supporting that we wanted, but it would have been really great to have seen uh, I'm from Waterloo <laughs> in the uh, the, the nomination uh, carousel. But yeah. overall, I thought they were pretty decent. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of good picks there, um, and and you know it, my. My contentions with it are my usual contentions that they could spread the love around a little bit more and make it more interesting for sure. But that is our breakdown of the 2024 Golden Globe nominations. Let us know your thoughts down below. Uh, Again, a reminder that we're going to be having all of our must-watch breakdowns for movies, for documentaries, and TV shows coming out. So if you don't agree with them, you can also disagree with us maybe when we put our list together. But our whole goal is always to put more movies on your radar for you to watch. So that'll be coming out soon. Until then, let us know your thoughts down below on the Golden Globe Award nominations. Now, it's time for the most important part of the show. And that is the shout out to the Intercutie patrons over yes. on the Intercut Patreon. Yeah, let's do it. A uh, big shout out to those wonderful Intercuties, Intercutters, whatever you want to go by. Uh, we uh, really appreciate the continued support. You can head over to patreon.com for as little as $1 a month to get on our list. And yes, it includes our Academy level members to Char, Cademan, Connor, Josh, May, Ricky, Joe, Tyler, and Benji, and as well as our producer-level patrons, who are Yudin Veer and Toon. A huge shout-out to all of you for helping keep the show going, and a reminder that you can also be part of our patron gang, heading over to patreon.com slash intercutpod. As little as $1 a month gets you insider access to awesome... uh, awesome uh benefits such as early looks at some of our intercut episodes uh including our upcoming interview with luke lorenzen is already available for patrons you also get invitations to our monthly patron google meetings the next one of which is coming up right after this stream so not too late to join in for as little as one dollar a month but even if you don't want to spend that one dollar a month you can head over to patreon.com slash intercut pod and just become a follower of uh the podcast to get updates on the show you'll find out what we're covering uh get a heads up on the weekend must watch and other reviews coming out so it's a cool way to get a little bit more information about this podcast if you enjoy watching it So, yeah, patreon.com slash intercutpod. It's the place to be for more from Intercut. We appreciate y'all, and we'll be be doing the Hangout, like Zach said, right after this. Right after, we also talk about what's coming out next week. We have a slew of movies uh, that is going to be released starting this week, the following week. And then there's like nothing (laughs) for the last December until January. So there's a lot that's coming out. (laughs) Luckily, we've already covered a lot of this on Intercut in the past, but some pretty big releases on December 13th, which I believe is Taylor's favorite day out of the year. That's why she named a bunch of stuff the 13 and is even charging you $19.89 for the digital (laughs) as well. We've got the digital release of Taylor Swift Eras Tour. The, the, the cinematic box office achievement of the year, according yeah. to the Golden Globes. So uh, I know you didn't get the chance to catch it, Zach, but don't worry. I've got, I've got, I've got your poster. Beautiful. So when you do, thank you. When you do finally watch it, 
you'll be able to. Uh, yeah, I would, to have I'm the just waiting to watch it in the comfort of, of my own home. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, we also have Wonka in theaters. I'm going back and rewatching the uh, last two that were out. The uh, what is it, Charlie and Chocolate Factory, and then the original Willy Wonka with uh, Wilder. Yeah. Um, might work on something there. I don't know if you're going to be doing your your due dil- due dil- due diligence for the Wonka Wonkaverse. Yeah, I mean, this is technically a prequel. Right. I mean, I, I got to catch the latest from Paul King, right? The uh, Paddington uh, hey. uh, auteur himself. People said he delivered. So uh, everyone joked on it. And now they're all pretending like they weren't making fun of Wonka for the right. longest time. And now they've just kind of like slowly deleted those tweets. And uh, everyone seems to kind of be uh, decent on the, on the movie in terms of the first reactions. I'll be catching yeah. it tomorrow in IMAX. So I will uh, have word of that maybe on Letterboxd. I don't know what the embargo is going to be, but we'll be covering it next week uh, on the weekend must watch as well as the family plan. Zach's been, you know, talking about this movie nonstop. I know he's a big Mark Wahlberg fan and uh, he's pretty much doing another version of uh, a family where he's a dad mm-hmm. and there's never like more than two kids. So now that they've got three in there, you know, he may be doing something different. <laughs> this is the yeah, action movie that I think is coming out up. to Apple. Yeah. It's going to be on Apple TV. So, you know, they very rarely release movies and this is where the budget for December went. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Who's the director I like, I like how Apple's in this phase of releasing Killers of the Flower Moon in theaters and releasing Napoleon in theaters. Walt, Mark Wahlberg gets the direct to streaming treatment though. <laughs> That should say a lot right there. Yeah. Uh, another one that is supposed to be limited right now is Chicken Run, The Dawn of the Nugget, the sequel to Chicken Run. And uh, I don't know if you heard, they were talking about how all the clay has run out. So yeah. Arvin had to like buy up all the clay. So this this may be the last one, bro. At least the last one in this style. Yeah. It's, it's, Until the uh, last one. Yeah. Concerning, to say the least. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the first Chicken Run. I think it's a fantastic movie. Same. I think the metaphors are, 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 yeah, it's, it's a classic movie. This new one's decent. It's decent. Yeah. Th- does it, it it doesn't disappoint you as like a big time fan of Chicken Run? No, but it do- also does not live up to the hype of yeah. what the original had. So you know what, but Chicken it, Run. Chicken follow. Run has a special place in my heart. When I went to see Chicken Run when I was younger, uh, I think we were the only people in the theater. My aunt took me. It was like a matinee showing, oh. and because we were the only people there, the projectionist brought me into the booth, and I got to see what? how they how they screen movies. It's the first time I've seen like the projector set up. So that yeah, that's I'm always gonna love Chicken Run for that alone. Oh, yeah. that's a special story. They took you yeah. up there. He was animating it on the spot. <laughs> it was like. A full projector with the clay that's that's sick dude uh and that's a good connection i have for that for that original movie it is some really good animation and i i think is uh one of armin's highlights up there with wallace and gromit um and then you know keeping true to cinema and and the like for those of you who will be watching this at home maybe someone will take you behind the tv to show you how they stream classics (laughs) such as finest kind zach got to catch this at toronto and it is one of those where people talk about it and they don't hype it up in any other way of it being a good movie in any way, shape, or form. And it still lands on like your mm. watch list of the thing that you need to see before the year ends. Zach has spoiled some lines for me, and I am just ecstatic to see how they're using the movie. This I- is I'm ready of, for it. This is one of those movies that I think a bunch of critics who saw it alongside me at TIFF all sat down like hopeful, curious about it and left just kind of laughing at some of the line deliveries. Uh, It's definitely like a so bad, it's kind of good uh, installment too. So Jenna Ortega innocent, but yeah, this is a movie to laugh at, not with, I think. Dope. 
I'm excited for it. And uh, that would be our wrap up for the newest coming out this week. Now for our picks. Uh, mm. We're keeping it pretty slim here. I got two. You yeah. got two. I'm going to start off with the wide release of Poor Things. It's been very yeah. interesting to see people get reactions to it. And I will say, I think it's hitting. You and I were having that discussion. I'm like, will I be able to connect with mainstream audiences? I've been seeing mixed uh, reactions every time that the trailers played. But I truly think that it's going to get up there because the haters on this. <laughs> They're doing a lot of work, bro. They're yeah, doing a, a, a lot of comeuppance, and I think I think they know that this is hitting with people. Yeah, I, I think there's a certain brand of uh, two online cinephile. Uh, or, or your your awards aces and your Grace Randolphs who don't just dislike this movie but are offended that other people do. And That's weird, bro. Pretty hilarious to see, especially about like sense. a pretty awesome and like not that weird movie. All things considered. It is not the weirdest movie that's out there. I think that yeah, yeah that may also makes me question things. But uh, I, I do think it's going to be a gateway for other Yorgos movies and other weirder movies. And I still stand that yeah. this is one of the best performances of the year. So I'm, I'm seconding this uh, pick for the week. In fact, I'm going to try and go see this in theaters this week. Sick. Again. Um, another one. I don't know if you caught this one. American Symphony came out on Netflix. It is a documentary that goes through John Baptiste. Um, musical career, how he yeah. rises up and then ends up, uh, you know, winning the Grammy. If you don't remember that, they do a really good job at breaking that down all the way up to him doing his symphony in Carnegie Hall, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. I like it's Lincoln yeah. Center, but right? Oh. Carnegie? Um, oh, no, maybe it was Lincoln Center. I actually, actually for, eh, a it probably big is place Carnegie. to have it. Yeah. It is a fascinating documentary. You know, I yeah. played it on in the background thinking like, oh, okay, you know, they they were really pushing this, really rolling it out. No, dude, there are moments where you're following this dude as it's interjected with his wife, who's also going through like a bunch of treatments for her cancer. And like, it's very easy to play at the, 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 you know, the heartstrings because of what they're dealing with. Right. But this man's resilience, dude, this man's love for music, his mm-hmm. passion to mix all of these different genres and traditions and cultures. I've always liked them. It's crazy to think that we have some of the best performers, best musicians out there. Bro, why do they all have to play Late Night? John Baptiste, <laughs> Late Night. The, the Roots. freaking Roots, Late Night. Yeah. There's a moment in this movie when he wins the uh, the, the the Grammy, like yeah. the big one. You know, it was a really big like upset for a lot of people that night. And he go, gets on a plane on his way back. And the shoe shiner, like, oh, I don't have this stuff for your shoes. Sorry, I don't, I don't want to mess him up. He goes, oh, it's fine. Everybody then recognizes him. As the Grammy winner, the guy then looks at the newspaper. He goes, wait, is this, is this you? I do have the leather <laughs> cleaner for you. Give this one a watch. It's, it's definitely yeah. a very emotional one, but it's just, you know, one where John Baptiste, um, who is also, mind you, he's in the color purple. I don't think the man is an actor at all. He is not an actor in any way, <laughs> shape, or form. But I do like his contributions in, into movies from Soul to what he does in the color purple. He has like one or two lines. They were not great. But then they get him to be on the piano, and it was yeah. actually a pretty good scene. I mean, look, that's um, what you want him to be there for, right? That's like, what you want him to be a, there for. So it, he's it such was an worth effervescent presence, and and uh, I think brings so much joy. like energy and joy yes. to not just his performances, but like being on late night and stuff like that. Like, there's a reason you choose a guy who just pops off the screen that way, yeah. even if it is no. just to be like Colbert's assistant off to the side yeah. between commercial breaks and stuff like that. But so yeah, to see it, all the background. Mm-hmm. And what like him and his his wife have gone through, it, it's yeah. No, I I think it's one that you need to catch if you uh 
you're a fan of John Batiste. It's a pretty Absolutely. crazy story. So, and I've been I got hearing things. some people say it might be in the Oscars uh, discussion for best documentary as well. I wouldn't mind it though. I think I may still have my 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 slots filled, but it really resonated with me. Poor things and American Symphony definitely check those two out. Zach has. Uh, I'll second that poor things recommendation, but my first one is American Fiction, which hits limited release this weekend. So if you're in a major city, hopefully it is playing near you. Uh, We've been hyping this one up a lot since Tiff. It's the directorial debut from Cord Jefferson, who is a really interesting writer. And this movie in particular has a lot of very fascinating things to say uh, about creativity, about audiences, about particularly being a black creative, trying to appeal to a largely white audience. Uh, And it's a movie that is both entertaining to audiences while also kind of making fun of those same audiences. I think it really rides a pretty interesting line there. Yes, sir. Um, It's just a movie that if you are fascinated about the intersection of all these different themes, I think it really mines a lot out of them. I also... Uh, felt that the the family story that it's coupled with works really well to sort of deepen uh, what's going on, what what he's going through in particular. I, I, it's a really hilarious movie, uh, an affecting drama, and just one of the great Jeffrey Wright performances too. So absolutely sure. check this one out. If you see it, it's probably going to get nominated for at least an Oscar, if not more. Um, Beautiful. And another movie that might get nominated for an Oscar or two that is playing in limited theaters this weekend is The Zone of Interest. This is the latest film from director Jonathan Glazer, who's already given us films like Sexy Beast and Under the Skin. Um, This one is a very interesting movie about the commandant of Auschwitz, uh, who basically ran the concentration camp, although the film has this very interesting perspective where it doesn't really focus on what's going on inside the camp and much more on what his life was outside the camp and what his family life was like. And it's a really interesting contrast of tragedy and banality. Um, It just does very interesting things, particularly with its sound design and what it uh, what it shows you versus what it lets you hear. Um, I think there's so much to talk about the movie, not just Mm -hmm. in what it's presenting, but how it's presenting. And maybe we'll get a chance to go deeper on it at some point. But it it is absolutely one of the most interesting artistic uh, statements that's been made this year. It's going to work better for some people than others, but it is it is a mon it's a monumental achievement i think it's really a, such a such a affecting powerful movie it is very depressing i both hated it and recommend everybody to at least watch it once yeah. and uh, i do agree because you're getting it now dude we don't get it till january and that's the worst part like i should have just bought the ticket because now the way that the behind the scenes work is now i'm embargoed right. until january because <laughs> Cause I'm in Chicago and we still run on newspapers and radios and such, but uh, yeah, you should definitely seek it out if you can, especially if it's at a festival. Some festivals are still running for sure. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be one of the notable movies when we get into award season. So it's absolutely worth having on your radar and finding an opportunity to see it. For sure. So running back our pretty short list, we have Finest Kind, of course, that we're both looking forward to coming out on Paramount Plus plus Showtime. Uh, but for real, we have Port Things that is finally getting a more extended release. Uh, I highly recommend it. I think it's one of the best performances of the year. And I think the story is fantastic. It's weird. It's crazy. It's whimsical. It's everything that I want in a movie. Uh, and Mark Ruffalo, I think, delivers one of the best performances that I definitely want to see uh, be a lock in for 
supporting. Uh, I also have John Baptiste documentary, American Symphony, that's out on Netflix. It is, it's profound. That's all I can say. Uh, so <laughs> be in the right state of mind to, to catch that one, but it, it is fantastic. Uh, and then Zach's got one that I am also giving the thumbs up for. We get a little later, but catch it as soon as you can. Yeah, American fiction, just uh, one of the most creative looks at uh, writing and race and creativity that you're bound to get uh, in American movie theaters, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after that is The Zone of Interest, a really uh, different approach to how to tell the story of pure evil. For sure. Uh, other than that, though, that is our show covering all the new movies and the Golden Globe nominations. Let us know your thoughts down below in the comment section. Uh, you can find more from me over at LME Movies on Letterboxd, on all other social medias, on YouTube.com slash LME. Let me explain. Something like that. Zach, where can they find more from you? You can find more from me at Zshevich on different social media sites. And you can find more videos from me at Multiplex Show on YouTube or on TikTok. Like Zach said earlier, we're going to be doing our Intercut Patreon, yeah. Intercutie Patreon, right after this. We're going to be discussing all of the last-minute additions that we need to add to our must-watch movies of the year. So even if you're not an Intercutie patron, you're still an Intercutie commenter. Let us know down below what your favorites are, what you're rooting for, what you're excited for. One of the things that we want to definitely work on as we lead to the Oscars next year, and we're going through all these other nominations, is gathering our Intercut Awards that we did a couple of years back, where we go through our own personal favorite categories, yeah. but also hear from you. You the intercutie, so start prepping it. Some of you make videos, I know it. Some of you make them in private, but some of you were also able to submit some voiceover or and uh, different varieties just to get you involved to get your voices heard here as the intercuties on the Intercut Podcast. So I'm really excited to get that. So start prepping for it. Yeah, get ready. Be for ready. That. A reminder that you can listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast on iTunes, on Anchor, on Spotify, whatever your favorite podcatcher is. You can watch the live video here on YouTube.com where we go through the weekend must-watch every Monday. Big shout-out to all the Intercuties who listen live, all of the patrons, all of the iTunes listeners who leave us that five-star review with Sundance. It's, it's very helpful. That's what really gets them to be like, uh, we're going to send you a link or no digital links, just don't exist. Uh, <laughs> don't forget to leave us a comment, drop a like, follow the socials over at Intercut Pod, and until next time. Don't forget, collect all of your physical media before it disappears.